Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. It's time for episode 134 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. I'm so glad you're listening because you get to hear a great interview with Peter J. Tomasi, one of my favorite writers in comics today. We talk particularly about The Light Brigade, which is the first story of his I ever read, which is a great war story and contains some things that I didn't expect, so it was a great read. It's recently been put out in a hardcover edition, and we talk about that as well as his other work on Batman and Robin and The Mighty. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. Well, welcome to the podcast, Peter Tomasi, one of my favorite writers of many good things, including The Mighty, which I really enjoyed, and Batman and Robin, which is going on currently, and what we really want to talk about, The Light Brigade. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Wayne? Good. It's good to talk with you. Let's dive right into The Light Brigade, because that is a book, the first one I ever read of yours, which really just floored me, I have to say. It was a great book. It combines a lot of stuff, let's say, that... Uh, you, you you combine history with events of biblical proportion, shall we say? Yeah, that's for and sure. It's really good stuff, and things happen in there that I was very surprised to read. And it's one of those books that honestly I felt like it was a real story when I got to the end because you know <laughs> the, it, it's I, I wondered was that really history? Is he really telling us what really happened in there? It was such a well told story. Thank how you. did the book How did the book come to be? Um, it really started from a. I've been a big history nut for most of my life and um, a big World War One nut. And one day I was just sort of looking through an old book about World War One cemeteries. And suddenly, you know, you, you see that some of them had taken, you know, were sort of around World War Two battles. And I'm thinking like, you know, wow, how cool would it be if an American soldier is literally in an American World War One cemetery during World War Two and actually has to dig a foxhole right there next to a grave of, you know, a fallen comrade back from World War One. So it sort of just always stuck with me, and it was one of those ideas you jot down, and it ends up, uh, you know, paying off at some later point. <laughs> do you carry a little notebook around with you in case you get ideas? To I do, be able I to... do. That's good, because this time it really worked for you. Um, now, the Light Brigade, do you want to tell people what the, the like the TV guy version of what it is? Um, yeah, sure. Um, it's really, um, it's, it's a battleground that's taking place in, uh, you know, in Belgium in 1944 during the, uh, the Battle of the Bulge. 
and it uh it's really sort of a one of those i guess i'm trying to think of the quickest you know easiest i've always i always have trouble summing my stuff up in like a quick little two minute <laughs> pitch but it's you know it's really kind of like you know still reeling from the horrors of you know of world war ii our character you know the main guy chris Stavros, who's an american soldier you know he's got one goal and you know the goal for him it's sort of like a little twist on saving private ryan where you know actually instead of uh you know the home home getting a letter and saying hey your your son's in jeopardy and they've lost somebody here's a soldier who's in the trenches who actually gets a letter saying you know hey your wife has been killed in a car accident and because there are no other relatives your son is going to be put into foster care so he's like you know talk about motivation for wanting to one to live and two mm-hmm. I wanted to get your ass back home mm-hmm. so um you know he basically has that one goal getting home safely you know to care for his son after learning his wife died and uh mm-hmm. you know he's basically uh suddenly is faced with some you know heavenly warriors that are you know sort of come down from the sky and he's mm-hmm. given a mission to recover the lost sword of god so mm-hmm. he's got to uh you know fight these unkillable what appear to be german soldiers and who then of course turn out to be something else entirely mm-hmm. That was the great thing about the book. And one of the reasons you may have a little trouble summarizing all this stuff is because it's like over 200 pages long. Yep. Yeah, it is. Which it's you tough know, to, to break down into like a quick little <laughs> quick little thing. And so it's tough to tough to get that across. But I think, you know, if, if somebody who loves, you know, big high-octane action at the same, at the same time mixed with history and, of course, archangels and, and different mm-hmm. religious elements that are taken seriously yet still mm-hmm. sort of woven into the tapestry of the story with a, with sort of a, uh, a specific bent towards serving the story and not just sort of exploiting it, I think mm-hmm. people will uh, really enjoy the book. I mean, it's well, like, I you know, I mean, the quick pitches, too, is like, you know, it's, it's um, you know, Saving Private Ryan meets, you know, The Evil Dead. Saving Private mm-hmm. Ryan meets, you know, Paradise Lost meets, you know, Where Eagles Dare. You know, all these mm-hmm. great World War II genre pieces mixed with, you know, all this biblical epic, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the thing that's great about the book is 200 pages of story, and it goes like like, like sh- a shot to me. It really I does, didn't re- right? It, it, oh, I, did, I didn't even realize how many pages it was until I finally went back and looked and said, oh my goodness, that's 200 pages. Because <laughs> it's one of those great stories that just pulls you in, and you get pulled along with it, and you get to you, – you care about the characters. You, you're fascinated by what's really going on, and you're actually – at least I was. I was scared by what was happening, you know. All this stuff, you have these kinds of things. Not that the Nazis weren't bad enough, but now we've got these other things going on, making things even worse. Right, right. So to to me, that was just what made the story, you know, hard to put down. I, I literally had to read all 200 pages at the same time, thanks, first time thanks. I read it. It's so well done, and this is why I'm kind of hoping that people will do. And another thing too, what I wanted to mention too, is that you you have a lot of interesting surprises along the way. And none of which I want to spoil, believe me, because they, I want people to be able to read this thing because they it, it has so many interesting little twists and turns that I never expected. And I, I it, it's just one of those great things that it literally felt like reality to me when it was over with. I, I literally sat there and said, now, did that really happen or was that a story? <laughs> right. You know, I think you, know, you get you get plugged into that because you care about the characters. And I think, like you said, you were scared. You were, you know, you're not you're not just scared for what's the the outside elements that are encroaching, you, you know, you're scared because I think, I mean, at least I know I was, even as I was writing and you, you're invested in these guys. And I, you know, I mm-hmm. took great pains to make sure that, you know, in, in, in those kinds of stories, you could always easily fall into that trap of just making, 
you know, real cliche one note characters. And I wanted, you know, to really make sure that each of the soldiers in the platoon had a distinct voice, had a distinct sort of outlook in life. And, you know, I think when, as they get, you know, I mean, it's not spoiling anything as, as several of them get picked off and, and face a horrible end, you know, you're, you're right there with them and you really care about the loss. You know, you get really, you know, you get sucked in. I remember writing a certain scene and just thinking like, oh man, I really love that character. I hated the scene go. And you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really great as a reader when you get pulled in like that. I mean, I know when I'm reading books, you know, and I'm, and I'm a character guy first. If I don't care about action because it's just action. But if I care about the people going through it, that action is heightened. We give that sense a lot in, in your writing and, and in this book particularly. And it makes me want to ask you, where did the characters come from? Did you did you base people on individuals you knew? Or these did you did you create them in your head? How did these people come to be? Um, a couple of them were sort of. I mean, the the main character is is basically me. Mm. And you know, I sort of looked at it because in a weird way, I was exploring my own, you know, upbringing, being an old altar boy and you know, going to church or Sunday school and stuff. And so you start to, you start to use what you know. So mm -hmm. that's how I sort of approached it. And, you know, all the other characters, there's every little character always usually has something of yourself in it, little bits, but there was a couple of friends of mine, you know, over the years who, you know, had distinct personalities that definitely fit mm -hmm. some of these guys too. So it was, it was fun to see, uh, some, fun to transpose some of their personalities on, on some of these characters. Now it's fun too, because, each one is distinctly different from the others. And, you know, when you get this many guys around, especially if you're in a war setting, yeah. oftentimes things kind of water down for everyone's just trying to survive. And when that happens, you don't get to see the nuances between person to person. But I thought you did a really good job on that of making sure that we understood and cared about the characters as they were very different from each other. I liked that a lot. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, the best characters are the ones that sort of are a conflict with each other, even in small ways, be it the comic book fan in the group, you know, with somebody else who doesn't respect the kid who, who likes comics. And, you know, there's just the gruff, of course, the, you know, our other lead character, um, the sergeant, Marcus, mm -hmm. and how he plays into things. So it's a... Mm -hmm. It's you know it's got these real nice shadings that kind of really bring the characters to life and and just makes you really invested in in everything they go through and even the mm -hmm. even the bad guy you know I mean I I mm -hmm. took great pains to really in a way identify with the bad guy to make sure that you know he just wasn't an evil must you know evil twirling mustache kind of guy who <laughs> you know just felt you know two dimensional I wanted him to in a weird way I wanted you to kind of feel for him you know and mm -hmm. kind of you know. I can see what he's thinking, why he's in a weird way doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, that old adage that a lot of writers, you know, of course, uses, you know, the best villains are the ones who think they're the they're, they're, they're heroes of the story, and, and, and mm -hmm. he's, you know, a prime example of that. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's kind of interesting to me because he ends up being sort of, well, I don't want to give away too much, but let's just say he becomes something of an angelic character. Right. And, and, the, 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 and of course, to have a Nazi who was something of an angelic character that was kind of that was against type. <laughs> I felt right. to me. Uh -huh. Yeah, to say the least. I just you know I wanted to strip away that. I mean, you know, in a weird way, the Nazi garb, the Nazi guise is 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 just that. It's a mask that they're wearing, and you know, they that gets pulled away, and then you you know you reveal their true true selves, and and of course, and in, in, you know, they're still bad guys. They're still you know they they're they're doing things that are against what they you know what they uh. You know what? What's good? So those, you know, the bad guys in that story are, 
are still, you know, not that they're Nazis per se, but they're still some, some the, the type of characters you, you, you know, feel good when they, when they get blasted, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, yay, good riddance. Because <laughs> this book to me, and, and I, it's really the case in many of the books I really enjoy. I could see this as being a movie. Yeah, really we've taken, uh, we've, we've gone the route a few times up and down, and as you probably heard talking to other writers and other creator own projects it's a it's a labyrinth of you know insanity to to finally get some of this in front of a camera and, and you know the funny part is it's like even someone like me even someone like you you we can we can direct you can direct this film all you gotta do the storyboards are right there mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. peter snayberg and, and yarna hansen who colored this is just amazing i mean i i, w- I would just give that to a director of photography and say all right i'm directing this Make sure we cast it right, and here's the shots. These are it. <laughs> you know, I mean, the editing, it's all there. I mean, he's he's awesome. And you know, Peter Peter worked from a screenplay from from this for this issue for this uh, for this book. I had, I had not broken it into a comic book script. What I my writing is in a specific way when I write a screenplay. Um, so when I gave it to him, I said, you know, I'm going to break this down for you. He's like, no, no, I love it like this. This this is perfect. I can see exactly what you want. I, it was amazing to watch him deconstruct the screenplay into a, into a comic because he kept every line of dialogue from the screen. There's not one dialogue line missing. And he just broke it down beautifully. And, and mm-hmm. he's an amazing guy, artist-wise. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the colorist, of course, added, you know, just a, a brilliant palette to that where it's just, it really shines. And this new printing by Dark Horse really did a, an awesome job to, uh, mm-hmm. to showcase, the, showcase Peter's art and Bjarna's colors. You know, it's interesting because the, 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 the gritty parts, the down-to-earth parts, are just as realistic to me as the quote-unquote, you know, angelic, heavenly parts right. are to me. They, they, they work. You know, the whole thing works so well to me that uh, this is why, when I, like I said, when I got to the end and thought it was real, because the, the marriage of the story and the art to me was just ideal, and yeah. I just... You know, both of the how you guys did that is just I, I wish other people could figure out, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. But it's just yeah. such a great thing, and, and and the way that it's done, I'm really glad that Dark Horse is giving it a, a hardcover. Now, what was your reaction? How did that come to be? Because originally, this the 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 version that I originally read was a trade. Right. It was well. Was, it first it, came out as a four issue prestige back in the day. You remember DC and Marvel used to do those, you know, five ninety five prestige books. 48 pages, hard stock covers, beautiful paper. So they did that for Light Brigade for four issues. Mm. And then um, they collected it, of course. And, uh, you know, it did really solidly, but uh, rights reverted back to me after a few years. And, you know, they were they were cool with it and said, hey, you know, go, go God. And I took it mm. and uh, talked to Dark Horse right off the bat. And, and they, you know, really just, without hesitation, Daniel Shabon over there was... Was great and Scott Alley and they uh, they made it happen lickety split and they did a great job on the cover and the and, the, and all the uh, supplementary stuff and the, the printing it's a it's a great book and it gives it another life to a to a brand new audience you know it's mm-hmm. it's really cool I mean and at conventions I get you know I always get people coming up talking about the book which is always nice for a mm-hmm. book that's you know several years old now but gets mm-hmm. a chance to uh, to fall into the hands of a new generation mm-hmm. I, I I like the extra parts in it because I always like behind the scenes thing knowing how things came to be and you've got some stuff you we, we get to see portions of your actual script right yep and then you can see how pete would break 
would break some of that down. Snaberg would break some of that down. So it's 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 pretty cool. He's it, it's just amazing how he could keep everything that I wrote and and still. I mean, because when you look at the book too, he's a consummate storyteller. And you know, scan through that book. There's not. I, I believe, and I'm I'm actually going to look through it right now. I think there is only one real true splash page in the entire book. Everything else is panels and beautiful sequential storytelling. The only page in the book, which is actually a splash page without any other panel but one big super panel, is like when they first arrive at the monastery. And that's mm-hmm. that's it. There's no other splash in that entire book. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really well done. Now, another thing, too, what fascinates me is you're juggling what may literally be a cast of thousands. You know, you talk <laughs> about the, monk, the monks and the, and the, right. the Nazis and the, the sort of Nazis and then the Americans. <laughs> You've got all these different groups going along. And it was so easy to keep track of them the way that you told the story and the way that the art went was that, you know, because sometimes in war stories, you know, everybody's wearing fatigues and it's yeah. kind of easy to to, to you know lose people. Yeah. But I never lost track of who was who. Yeah, that, that book, took think, a lot of great pains in the story and also Peter to make sure, uh, Snayberg to make sure that uh, with two Peters it's always tough to <laughs> differentiate. But, close. but uh, Snayberg took great pains to give them all, uh, you know, when you see Simon, the comic book guy, you see him and you know who he is. You know, you see Marcus, you see Christopher, you mm-hmm. see uh, Jesse, with the cowboy guy. I mean, it's you know, his the way his just his entire face is shaped. It's distinct. It's, mm-hmm. It pops. And yeah, I mean, I would look. I mean, I would love this. This does belong. This this should be a movie. It's it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is a, a perfect movie. And no one's you know. They, I feel like some some films have pulled from this here and there throughout the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I'm just hoping that one day we get a chance to mm-hmm. to do it as a film because I think it'd be I think a lot of people would dig it. I think it has a great international appeal and I think it would be a a really solid flick. Do you think this is something that uh, kids could or, or children or, or young adults could enjoy? Um, you know, I really do. I mean, I think anywhere from ten and up, based on, of course, every kid is different, but um, I feel most of them, and, I, and I'm basing this on my own eleven year old and the friends he plays with and the games that they play. And I've just recently let him play PlayStation and Xbox, so um, I think it's it's key for kids to they're they're eviscerating and blasting people away, non-entities, you know, human beings on a video screen, on a big TV, 50-inch screen all day. I think it's important for them to see somebody bleed and die, and and maybe if they've emotionally invested and in, during the course of the story and feel something for them, I think that's that's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it I think that's a good thing, so it just doesn't become a you know, I think it boils down to the old, uh, you know, when you the erosion of empathy. You know, I mean, if, if they can't, if they can't feel something as they're doing all this violence, that's scary. You know, I want, I want them to be a bit. Oh my God, you know, that that's mm-hmm. that's troublesome. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, they'll recover. There's Grimm's fairy tale. It's been around. You know, horror and violence and terror has been around forever in kids' literature. Mm-hmm. So I think a story like this that takes itself seriously and doesn't, you know make you uh, just throw these characters out there just to be killed as, as, as cannon fodder, I think it's not a bad thing for them to see it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I agree with you. I think that there's there are good things to be learned from this and this story, and, and, and things are gone. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that there are some biblical implications going on. And I was just sort of curious, over the years, did you get much in the way of reaction from that? Because some of the things you, you do are a little extra biblical, shall we say. <laughs> And I was just kind of wondering, did you get much in the way of negative reaction to the... To you know the what? Episode? I haven't. I expected, really? I expected to. 
Mm-hmm. But at every turn, even from when it was first published at DC, mm-hmm. people were, they really saw that I was having an argument with myself or with, the, mm-hmm. you know, the character was having an argument about faith and God and, and, and all that stuff. And it wasn't done in a, in a jokey, comical way. It was done in a mm-hmm. very, you know, serious way. So I think people, you know, even people who saw all this wild stuff happening, it, you know, it, I think they still appreciated the fact that I was taking religious, you know, a religious aspect of the story seriously and not making fun of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes a big difference to people. Because there's one thing, and I can't spoil it for loving their money, but I would love to. It, there's something that happens. There's a certain person that's involved in this. A certain something happens to this person, and, and it 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 re- revives something. Uh, more than that, I don't want to say. But when I read that, I was just like, wow. You know, that was you could almost see that kind of thing happening, right. even though it's not specifically mentioned in, in the Bible anyplace. It just it, that those were the kind of things that that made the story kind of breathe for me, and along those ways, was making not only living people but things that were very likely to have happened mm-hmm. take place. That, that I, I was just I was very worried that you might get some reaction from people. That's not in the Bible. How can you do that? How can you do that? Kind <laughs> yeah, of thing? yeah. I, I thought I would run into some some hiccups too in that regards, but it, it actually never came to pass. People, uh, <laughs> even you know, people were like, you know, wow, what you did. You know, exploring the you know Christian elements and Judeo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all kind of just people just didn't seem to be upset by it. They sort of rolled mm-hmm. with it and and saw that it wasn't like I said. I wasn't poking fun at it or or mm-hmm. cracking wise about it. Mm-hmm. Well, it was great. I, I, those kinds of things made this thing, the story, stand out to me so much. And I, it's just such a great book. And, and that way, there's one sentence in the book that I wanted to ask you about. That it, coming in towards the end, and uh, Marcus is telling Christopher something. Mm-hmm. He says, "Every day is Judgment Day." Right. And that sentence to me really summed up the whole story. I thought that was just a, such a great bit of dialogue there. It's, it's very difficult sometimes. You, you talked a little about having trouble sometimes to boil down these things, but that one sentence to me exemplified exactly what the story's talking about. Thanks. Yeah, and, that, that, you know, the, the, that, the fact that you pulled that out is pretty awesome because. I can't even begin to tell you how long <laughs> I spent at the table reworking and trying to make come up with that line, and mm. it just it, it did it summed up everything that that people just and because to me what that line meant even in the end was you know either you're religious or you're not you have faith or you don't but in the end you know every day is judgment day for your own soul and for you know for the own goodness inside yourself so you you, you either do the right thing or you do the wrong thing if you believe in a god it's you know it, it'll it's you know whether you believe in a God or whether you don't. It still it still means something. Mm-hmm. Do the right well, thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a good message uh, to, to have in a comic today, which is not what we get oftentimes in comics. <laughs> but uh, what's interesting to me is is that this, this hardcover now has been out a little while. But it's it's kind of hard to find sometimes, and that's because I know people who have ordered it in stores, and right. it's basically gone through. People have sold through it, so I know some stores are trying to get more copies of it. I know it's available on Amazon. Yeah. If people can't find it in, a, in your local comic shop, I, I would recommend you go to Amazon. Are, are there other places that you can? Is this available digitally? Um, yeah, I think actually Dark Horse has made it available digitally too. So mm. people should definitely check out DarkHorseComics.com, I believe, and and see uh, see that scenario. I mean, I think that's one of the one of the things that's always been you know people 
who found it enjoyed it, and I think it disappeared from the shelves. And in some weird way, people, I think, just they never ordered enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I really do think the the audience is out there for this kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. they they just they just seem to keep dropping the ball on on making sure it's got some uh, some visibility. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping well, that with the Dark Horse edition, at least some people will, you know, I hope mm-hmm. they find it because it'd be a shame not to not to get it into more people's hands on a second go around. Well, that's how I got a hold of it was that, you know, every once in a while you end up in a store and you've got a little extra money and uh, something didn't come in that you expected. <laughs> and I would always ask people, what should I be reading? And this was one of those things that was recommended to me. And when I got, like I said, when I got it home, I was like so grateful that somebody's told me how great this story was. You know, I actually got to sit down and dive into it myself. So I, I, I'm encouraging people out there, if you can't find the hardcover, find the digital version, go to Amazon, do whatever you can, because this story deserves to be read. And it really needs to be something that, if you don't have it in your library, you really need to put it in there to, 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 to flesh out your library with some great variety and some great storytelling. Thanks, I appreciate that. That's because it means a lot. And, you know, I remember when it first came out, I mean, Publishers Weekly, literally said this this is the best comic of 2000 and I think it was 2004 I mean it was wow. it was really you know and not to tout my own horn but I just I just you know you want when you do something that you're really proud of you just want people to find it at least read it I don't care if you hate it or love it but just I love people just to to get it and get a reaction out of people mm-hmm. Well, so many people have told me how great it is, and and now I'm one of them as, as well. I'm in the chorus now, so it's kind of fun stuff to do that. So, again, highly recommend The Light Brigade. But I wouldn't be a good Bat fan if I didn't if I let you go without asking you a, a couple of things about Batman and Robin, if I can. Now, of course, no spoilers because I want to know what's going on. I, I want to be able to read them as they happen. But you know, when what, what was your just curious to know what was your reaction when you found out that Grant Morrison was actually going to follow through and put Damian Wayne under the way that he did? Um, you know, the funny thing is, I was I was on staff at DC as the Batman group editor. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, hired Grant to write Batman. So mm-hmm. he, he was he was doing All Star Superman. And then I was I got on the phone with him one day and I spent like an hour convincing him why he should do both of the main company's characters at the same time and how cool that would be. Mm-hmm. And he eventually agreed and went down to Dan DeVille's office and said, hey, I got Graham Morrison to do Batman. So um, I knew about Damien. He wanted to kill Damien earlier on, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he, he didn't do it. And then uh, after I had left, of course, I was still in the Bat group as a writer, so I knew all the plans at that point. Mm-hmm. A few times it changed, but uh, no, it was no surprise that he was going to mm-hmm. kill Damien. I mean, it, I would be lying if I said I, I had hoped maybe he'd change his mind <laughs> and not kill him, but he he did kill him. And and I think in a weird way, I think it served it served our story and our and our and our journey of a father and son really well. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, when you when I look back on on these these hardcovers and, and trades now. That you know, Pat Gleason and I did. It just, again, I'm I'm just I'm very lucky to work with an artist who, you know, I, I'm so simpatico with, and he he just kicked serious ass and and just did an amazing job on this series as he continues to do. I mean, we're on issue 34, I believe, out of 34 issues, he's missed an issue and a half. Wow. And I think that's pretty much maybe him and one or one maybe him and one other person. I think from the start of the new 52. Maybe it's only Greg Capullo. I don't think there's anybody else that comes close to that. And wow. especially in terms of consistency, you know, 
mm-hmm. of quality. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a book that I'm really proud of, and it's and it's like a, you know, bringing up the Damien bit. I, it, it really, it 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 helped. I think it made the story just that much more poignant and and mm-hmm. and just more heartfelt that we could explore that that death and and that that life and death in a way. Mm-hmm. So I think people really, you know, because I could get to focus on Damien more. Mm-hmm. Um, than, than Grant could do, I was able to really just you know keep adding more more meat to the to the skeleton, so to speak, so that when he did die, I think people felt it you know even more. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised that people actually liked Damien? <laughs> well, I know you know from all the times I've gone to over the years, people definitely. The one thing I always the first time every time somebody walks up is, you know what, you made me love Damien. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody says they started out hating him, and uh-huh. you know, as I as I shaded him up some more, and and, and just mm-hmm. had more fun with him, and and did some more stories with him. It, it people sort of, you know, some people love to hate, you know, a character, and some people, you know, really just just got on board with him and really enjoyed, you know, what Pat and I were doing with him. So it was a, it was nice to see that at conventions that people who had ridden off the character and really didn't want to see him were. Now, really sad to see him go, and and just hoping that we would bring him back one day. Mm-hmm. Well, now you've got an event coming up, and if, and correct me if I forget the title wrong. It's, it's the Hunt for Robin. Uh, the Hunt for Robin is actually just winding down in issues thirty-two of Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. um, and then after that starts Robin Rises number one, mm-hmm. with it, which is Andy Kubert, and that's that ships in July, followed by. Batman and Robin 33 through 37, which takes us into December. It's one big Uber storyline, and then Robin Rises number two comes out in December. And at that moment in time, readers will once again see a dynamic duo back together again. Okay. Okay. More than that, we don't want to say because we don't like spoilers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, I, I've always said to people, you know, this is Rachel Gould's, uh, you know, relative, and there's this. There's this little thing, you know, that he goes into and he gets revived. And why they didn't do that with Damien, some of us can't understand. But right. yeah, I, that was the easy, you know, that was an easy out. You know, that was the first thing. <laughs> we were, you know, oh, you're gonna put him in a last bit, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, you know, when the, when December rolls around, it's gonna be there. There will be a Robin again, and it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how the fans react. Okay. Well, you guys have had a good job, a good track record with us, and we're dying to see what you have in store for us there. Thank you. Because I know that you're a big Batman fan, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, of course. <laughs> said that you got into uh, you were into Batman when you were young, and and uh, honestly, I got into Batman as a, a when I was young as well. And so an easy we were to sort of glom onto when you're a kid, and obviously mm-hmm. the Halloween costumes at that age, and. You know, reruns of the Batman show, and then of course, mm-hmm. you know, the Batman movies and the comics too of that of that period were the were the Denny O'Neill and the Neil Adams, and you know, my favorite Batman artist, Jim Aparo. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was a great time to be, you know, a Batman fan, and mm-hmm. he was being done right, and really some cool stuff, and uh, yeah, it was an easy character to really fall in, you know, fall in love with. I mean, he is without doubt, you know, my favorite character in the DCU. Mm-hmm. So it was. It's been great to get a chance to write on. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we're looking forward to seeing what you've got coming up in, as far as Robin goes. So I'm going to be there with bated breath. So I can't wait to see that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. But I've got one other series that you did that I really liked, and nobody seems to talk about it. And I'd like to see it come back. Was the Mighty? Oh, the Mighty. Yes, that was. Uh, that was another. Uh, 
you know, create our own book from DC that were, they were great to, to let me do. And, uh, you know, we had a nice 12 issue run It had a beginning, middle and an end. And the people who read it and could find it loved it. So it was one, another one of those books that I think, you know, disappeared without, without getting, yeah, yeah. It was one of those books that just kind of disappeared as much without getting enough of, uh, the people who read it, the critics that read it, you know, all really enjoyed it. And it just, Mm -hmm. It disappeared, and I think what didn't hurt, what didn't help, actually, was that uh, when DC collected it, they broke it into two volumes instead of one mm. issue volume, and mm-hmm. so it, it was months between trades, and it just people just didn't find it and never got a chance to get into it. Mm. So, and the good thing is, once again, Dark Horse has, you know, stepped into the fray, and the rights have reverted back to, to me and Keith Champagne. We co-wrote it, and Peter Snayberg. Mm-hmm was the artist on it and uh Chris Samney was came in as of issue five and did amazing excuse me and Chris Samney came in and did amazing work on it with mm-hmm. Don Kalis as the colorist and uh mm-hmm. it was awesome. So they're uh Dark Horse is uh, putting it out I believe it, this isn't gospel but I think it's December and it, of course it'll be all in one volume. Oh and um supplementary section um new really beautiful cover by Ryan Sook. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, all the interior, you know, cover, all the original covers will be preserved mm-hmm. to inside by the great Dave Johnson, but a uh, mm-hmm. new cover by Ryan and, uh, yeah, it'll be nice. It, it's good as light brigade. I'm hoping it's getting, you know, it gets a second life into the read into a new, you know, a bunch of new readers hands to find and enjoy. See, I didn't know anything about that. I just happened to love the series and I wanted to mention it. So, man, my whole day is made. I'm going to get the, get to have that. Now, is it going to be hardcover or trade? Or? Uh, it'll be trade, actually. Okay, so it'll be trade. Well, that'd be good to start that way because then uh, if that picks up, then you can always come back and do some other ones. But, man, I am really thrilled to hear that. If this does well, do you have any other ideas for the Mighty? Might this be the beginning of a Mighty return? It could. It, you know, through Dark Horse, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we're doing with it to get to garner interest initially is Keith Champagne is writing a, a three issues in Dark Horse Presents of the Mighty, sort of a prologue when he, back in, mm. uh, in the in – because the, the character obviously was around for a while, so you see him in a different time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, really nice stuff by Leonard Kirk drawing it, and uh, John Kayla's once again coloring it. So it's uh, it'll be nice to see it uh, to see that prologue and the reaction to that as we lead into the uh, to the to the resolicitation of the, uh, the the collected edition of all the issues in one place, so people can finally get that story and then not try searching for a second volume that is probably way out of print or very very hard to find now. Well, man, I'm really excited to hear that. I'm, uh, man, my, I can't wait to get that. And it's just in time for the holidays, too, so that's going to be perfect. Yeah, it is. I'm hoping people uh, really really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's nice to get things out there again. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really important when you, when you care about a project. Hey, Peter, are there any other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? Um, right now, I'm working on another thing with Dark Horse called House of Penance with uh, an artist called uh, Ian Bertram. He just did a uh, Detective Comics 27, 12, mm-hmm. 10-pager on the, the anniversary issue that came out in January. And he's also doing a 12-page Secret Origins Damien Wayne story that I just actually dialogued up today, which looks awesome. Mm-hmm. A really great artist. I think people will be really surprised by this, this guy. He's got a hell of a lot of talent. And he hasn't done a lot of things, so I'm really happy to to have found him and working on uh, some projects with him. 
Great, great. Anything else, or has that, that got you pretty busy? Uh, that does have me pretty busy. There's one project going to be announced shortly with DC, uh, which I can't say anything about right now, but it's another <laughs> really cool project that I'll be uh, taking over. So, uh, oh, um, well, we'll with, a, with another great artist. So, uh, okay. yeah, it'll be really awesome. So I think people will be really uh, digging what we got to bring to the table on this book. Oh, great. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Of course, uh, we'll keep our ears to the ground and find out what that news is when it's announced. So, <laughs> I really like that. There's, there's so much good stuff in them. When I see your name, I'm I'm after that book like crazy. So, oh, good. I'm, I'm happy that you know at least people will see it. And you know, if my name means you know at least they'll get a quality story with characters they care about. That's you know, as a writer, that's all you can ask for. Really, that is just good stuff. That's that's the essence of comics, right there in that one sentence. So, <laughs> Thank you. Great stuff. So, well, Peter, you know, much success. Hopefully, all these things will take off, and we'll get to see much more of it as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely, Wayne. I appreciate uh, appreciate talking with you today, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the con. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne, as a man. Flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe news, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Now at Majorspoilers.com. that's a wrap for this episode. Be sure to be back next week when I'll have another interview with a great comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. You'll never win, Joker. I'll always be here to stop you. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.